you know, today is a, a day I want you to think about something. I want you to think about um, a time when you ran away from home. Anybody ever run away from home? You know, between some time whenever we're like born and junior high school or middle school, I guess what they call it now, it shows you how old I am. But uh, when you think about, you know, middle school, junior, uh, up in that time, sometimes we just kind of feel like I got to run away from home. And we run away from home because we get at those points where uh, somebody has said something to us at home or we didn't like the rules that mom and dad had or something happened, or I'm going to run away from home, and we go, and we kind of get down to the, uh, the end of the driveway, and that's kind of where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? That's at that point where we're going like, oh, crud, I really got to make a decision now. Am I going to really leave? Uh, are they buying into my threat? What are we going to do? What, how are we going to do that and, and deal with that? And uh, so, so uh, running away is really less about the leaving, or more about the leaving, I should say, and less about the destination. You know, it's more about, you know, get out of here, and it's less about the destination. Now, it just so happens our youngest daughter's here today, and I want to tell you, she ran away from home when she was about four years old, and she did not like the, don't, don't look at her, she's sitting right over here, it's, uh, right over in this section next to her mother. But uh, she actually ran away from home at like four years old, and, and she did not like the dinners her mother was cooking for her at night. I'm going to leave. And she just got up and started walking out of the house. Well, Patty had a really good friend. Her name is Betsy, and Betsy ran a catering business. And Kimberly said, Miss Messy cooks good dinners, and I'm going where she's at. And she just marched out the front door, got all the way down to the driveway. And again, it's, it's about leaving versus the destination. And uh, we coaxed her back with a, with a little chocolate chip cookie. And uh, she came back inside and, and got over the fact that she didn't like the dinners that were being prepared. But, but all of us, uh, we, we kind of remember those times that we've, that we've run away, and, and uh, we were kids and those kind of things. I remember as a, as a little boy, uh, growing up on Hollis Drive in Orlando, East Orlando, my parents still live there today, and I got mad at my dad about something. I can't even remember what I got mad at him about, but I was going to show him, and I just marched out of the house, took a quick right, they had a hedgerow that's in front of the house. I kind of crawled back through the hedges, through the dirt, because I didn't want anybody to see where I was going, and I hid in a legustum tree on the, uh, on the side of the house. And I was content to stay there for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, it was just, I was gonna stay there until the yellow jacket started biting me. And then it was kind of like, ah, and I ran back into the house. Again, I didn't know where I was gonna go, <clears throat> but I knew that, that I just wanted to leave. And um, sometimes we run away because we have these unresolved issues that we're trying to deal with, right? And if you think about it, uh, even as adults, when we kind of want to run away or we give an ultimatum to somebody as an adult, uh, we're running away from a trouble, we're running away from a problem, we're running away from a situation that just is not boding well in our life. And, and, and it's the getting away and, and trying to make sure that we can make something change or happen that's there. But um, have you ever found yourself, though, in that place where you knew what the right thing to do was, was this, but for whatever reason, you chose not to do the right thing. And that kind of bodes a little bit well also with the running away. We, we know what we're supposed to do. We know the credible thing that's there. We know God is aware of everything. God is aware of all of our actions. God is aware of all of our thoughts. God is aware of, of everything that there is about us. And we kind of get to that place. And we're aware of all those things. But yet, as we're trying to struggle through what decisions to make in our life, we kind of find ourselves making the point by saying, God, I got this on my own. I can deal with this. I don't need you. I don't need to connect with you. And I'm just going to handle all these things all by ourselves. So, so we really start learning how to do that in high school. In high school or whether you go off to college or trade school or whether you just go right into the workforce, you kind of learn it your, your high school years or college freshman years or, or trade school years. You get to that point. And you start learning that the world gives you choices to make. 
You recall some of the worldly choices you bought into? I do. Some of them aren't really good. Uh, some of them I think God uh, uh, allowed those things to happen so I could say it was time I was working on my testimony. And, I, and we don't have enough time uh, for the next 10 years for me to tell you all the horrible things I did as a kid and, and as an adult, a young adult. But, but you know, we, we begin to make those choices, and our minds tell us that, okay, the choices are out there. The world says, here's things that you can choose to do, things you ought to do. And all of a sudden, the world starts spinning it in a direction that says that, that you deserve this, or you need this, or, or, or this is something you need to aspire to, or it's okay to not give a rip about anybody else just so that you can get ahead. And it's all about you, 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 and we personalize it, and we go do that. Let's get ahead by making bad choices to stab people in the back so that we can climb the corporate ladder, get the promotion, whatever those things are. That's what the world teaches. Now, now the world teaches some good things, but the world also teaches some very difficult things. And the point I'm trying to raise is that's when the earthly world and the spiritual world collide. The earthly world and the spiritual world collide because we begin to start running through our brains the things that the world is sending to us versus the things that God wants us to lean into, the things that God says are for our betterment, for our good. And uh, where that usually starts to happen is when you get some freedoms in life. And I remember one of the biggest freedoms that I got in life was when I got my driver's license. Anybody remember that? You get your driver's license, and you can just go wherever you want to go. Your parents are no longer tethered to you, and you just go and, and, and go off wherever you are. And I remember just saying to my parents, man, this is my day of freedom, and I've got my license, and I'm driving around, driving around, driving around, and all of a sudden, guess what? I needed gas money. And I had to go back to my parents. Well, I'm, I'm still not independent. Uh, can you give me 20 for the gas tank? And so as much as we want the freedoms in life, sometimes we find that we can't always get that. But those freedoms come really good when you get your license because then you can go to the all-you-can-eat burrito place whenever you want. And you can just enjoy that. And nobody even has to care. Well, our spiritual life rails against some of these things, these freedoms, because the chance and the choices, are they earthly freedoms or are they spiritual freedoms? And we find ourselves oftentimes wrestling with this. <clears throat> the word in our church vernacular that deals with the battle between earthly freedoms and spiritual freedoms is the word repentance. Repentance is a big church word. And, and what it really means is to change direction. The, uh, the Hebrew word for repent is naham, which means to go in a different direction. So imagine your life traveling this way, and repentance says, all of a sudden, now I need to go this way. And the whole auspices of repentance is when we get off the right track and we begin to travel the wrong track of life, repentance moves us back on the track of life that, that God wants us to live. Think of it this way. Repentance is taking off the old and putting on something new. Now, ladies, if you get your nails done or, 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 you know, and you have that done, what do you do? You take off the old polish before what? You put on the new polish. Anybody work with furniture? I know Grant works with wood. Anybody else work with wood? If you're working with wood, and especially if you're restoring something, what do you do? You take off the old furniture polish. You take off the old things before you put on something new. If you restore a car and you want to repaint it, what do you do? Well, if you're really good at what you do with, with repainting a car, you take it all the way down to the metal, you take off all the paint, you take off all of the impurities off of that, and then you get to a point where you put it into a special room, and before you start to paint it, you take a sticky rag, and you begin to take every last little dust particle that's on that before you put on the new paint. Repentance does that. It takes off the old 
and it puts on the new. So through repentance is where we as Christians receive the freedom that we need to become the new creation um, that God has asked us to become. So when it comes to, as Paul would say, renewing our minds, when it comes to taking off the old, what, what that means is we must first identify the lies and the wrong ideas and the misperceptions that the world is putting upon us, and we must clue into the holy words of what God is trying to say. So the spiritual act of repentance, changing direction, moving on the path of God, moves us into newfound freedoms. Well, the Apostle Paul writes a stinging letter to the church in Corinth. In fact, it was his second letter that he wrote. And Paul is looking at this community that he helped plant, and he's saying, you're supposed to be this kind of people, but for whatever reason, you're not being the people that I taught you how to be as, as people of Jesus Christ. But now you're, you're fighting amongst each other. You're, you're doing things that are wrong. You're, you're, you're straying away from what God has planned in your life. And Paul writes a stinging letter to them, and as he writes it to them, and he's really laying it out for them to see where they're wrong and how they need to change direction or repent, what comes with that is his own heart breaks for his community. And let me read to you uh, what he wrote here in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 12. I'm reading from the message. I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. So here's Paul as being a passionate pastoral leader. I know the words I said to you, even though they're true, I know that they hurt you. I know that, that it, it's not selling well and it's breaking my heart. I had to say that. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel at all bad now that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a little while. Now I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. So Paul's words spoke to that community. And because he was he was direct, but yet he was in love saying to them, it made them see the error of their ways, and it made the community, even though they didn't like what words Paul was giving to them, it made them see the truth. And it jarred them, as he writes here, it jarred them into a new way. And that distress brought them to God rather than driving them from God. So sometimes when someone speaks truth into our life, uh, we get upset at that. We can, can't we? Or when we know something to be true, but yet we're refusing to live into that. And we have a choice to make at that moment. Can, can the challenge that's happening in our life at that moment, will it draw us closer to God or will it draw us away from God? And that's a clear choice that we have to make. And as, as persons uh, in the likeness of Christ, and especially when we accept Christ into our life, we must choose to let whatever that challenge is, however horrible, embarrassing, or, or maligned it might be, we need to allow that to lead us closer to God. Because as we are brought in the midst of God into our brokenness, God's work of restoration is done greatly. He goes on to write, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. So whenever we're jarred by the situation, it brings us back into the presence of the grace of God, and it reminds us of our salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. And he says they end up on a deathbed of regrets. So when we run from God in the midst of our difficulties or challenges, uh, we're never at peace. We never are at a point in our life where we can truly say, 
um, I'm going to grow through this or that there's a better way. So he's calling us to move. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? You're more alive. You're more concerned. You're more sensitive. You're more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Do you see, when we draw closer to God, it brings those qualities out to us. My primary concern was not for the one who did the wrong or even the one wrong, but for you. And he's talking to the church that you would realize and act upon the deep, deep ties between us and between God. So there's a message to this that sometimes when our lives look really messy, that when our lives are off track, decisions, whatever is made, instead of running from God, we need to run to God. You know, some people, though, will look at repentance and they'll kind of want to kind of dumb it down a little bit because they think of the word repentance, that that's a big church word and they get embarrassed by that. Well, I don't want anybody to know that, that I've done something wrong, that I have to repent. And we kind of dumb it down to the word apology. And we say, well, I want to apologize for what I've done. There is a difference between repents, repentance and apology. Apologies are nice, don't misunderstand me. But repentance means that our hearts are grieved by what is done. That our hearts have grieved by our actions or what has happened to us, and that it grieves us, that we no longer want to hold on to this, that we just want to let it go and give it to God. That's the difference between repentance and apology. Because an apology is something that we can break. When my brothers used to like uh, treat me badly, I was the youngest of four, the best looking one though, but the youngest of the four, and, and they would mistreat me, and I would just say, you know, stop that. And, and they would say, well, well, if you'll do our chores for us, we'll stop picking on you. And I would say, promise? And of course they would go, yeah, and they'd wink, and, and they wouldn't. So promises can be broken, but repentance is deeper than that. Apologies come and go. They're words that we give to give someone off our back. But when we repent of something, it grieves our hearts so badly that we want to let it go and we want to give it to God. So that's an understanding between grace and cheap grace. If you've ever had somebody who's wronged you or if you've ever wronged somebody, sometimes our initial thought is to just immediately go and say, you know, I take that back, or, or I'm sorry, but we really don't really think that way or feel that way. That's called cheap grace. And what, what we're reminded of um, as a persons of faith is that we have some confusion with this. And when we become a Christian, what we find out that moment is we come face to face with the grace of Almighty God. And what that means is at that moment that we come into the presence of God, either as a emerging believer or as a full believer, we get to that point where we start to say and understand that God loves us unconditionally, that we can't earn his love, we cannot earn his favor, we cannot do it through good deeds. It's not about money. It's not about the size of the home or the car we drive or the career that we have. But that God chooses freely to give us his grace. And that is a gift that it lifts us up, and it's through that that we see that significance. And that's the relationship that God builds for us. He builds this bridge, and he says, all you have to do is cross it. And when you cross it, you will be in my presence, and as you're crossing this, I'm showering you with my grace. But sometimes we forget that in our past, we've done things to wrong somebody, Maybe in our present we've wronged somebody, but maybe in our past. And we kind of get to that point where we say, well, they're probably over it by now. Or we get to a point and say, well, they've probably forgotten it by now. Or it really doesn't matter because I'm moving forward in life. And we have to be very careful because sometimes our past 
can rob us of our ability to become free. We have to remember that the grace that was showered on us at salvation does not provide an escape hatch from extending grace to each other. So it's not just about me receiving God's grace or you. It's about us giving each other and sharing God's grace with one another. So Christ paid a debt that he didn't owe and one that you and I could not pay on our own. That kind of love has to motivate us to pay the debt that we can pay that we owe others. So as we think about others that we have wronged in our life, as we think about others that, that we have uh, tripped up or harmed in some way, we need to really be thinking today about how we will extend grace to those that have harmed us, or more importantly, that we have harmed in our way. If you look at the story of Zacchaeus, a lot of us remember Zacchaeus uh, from our early days. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he was so small he had to get up into a tree so he could see Jesus, that is, Jesus patched by, or passed by. But no one seemed to catch the connection that comes with this. Uh, no one uh, saw how wicked Zacchaeus really is. We don't say Zacchaeus was a wicked man. We just kind of make fun of the fact, well, he was small and he had to get up in a tree, and oh, how nice he is as he's looking down. He was one of the most wicked individuals that we see recorded in the Bible. And he was ripping people off. He was taking money from them. He was charging them. He was not using proper weights and balances. And he was making sure that he was becoming rich at the expense of others becoming poor. And if you put that into context for a second, think of the poorest family that you might know and somebody taking even more from them so they have nothing. That's what Zacchaeus was doing. But we, we learn in this that Jesus, as he's passing by, looks at Zacchaeus and he says to him, today I'm gonna have dinner at your home and I'm gonna come and I'm going to eat with you. And Jesus loved him despite his wicked past. But it did not release, <clears throat> it did not remedy the, the evil past that Zacchaeus had done. There was an action required by Zacchaeus to remedy his past. So his reaction is he decides to give half of his goods to the poor, and that was just for starters. And then he listens to what Jesus is saying, and Zacchaeus says, well, from here on out, not only am I going to give half my money to the poor, but every person that I've defrauded, every person that I've ripped off of anything, I'm going to give them back four times as much. So he's looking, he's going to his accountant going like, okay, what's it going to cost me to move forward here? But oh my gosh, you know, what kind of uh, payables am I going to rock up now because of my past? And it's a big one. So Jesus didn't say, no, 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 Zacchaeus, you're cool, you're cool. The fact that you just repented of your sin, you can just move on and start a new life. Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, you must confront the evil ways of your past. And it puts him in a place. So Jesus, Zacchaeus understood that following Jesus wasn't just about the present, and it wasn't just about the future. It was about dealing with his past. So part of our vital role with growing in our love with God is growing in our love and our relationship with one another. And in that, part of walking with God is making that call that you dread to make. Part of walking with God is setting up that appointment with the person that you wronged that you have been regretting to do. Part of dealing and growing in your relationship with God is getting in your car and driving to the person that you harmed and to say, I repent of what it is that I have done. You see, repentance and reconciliation, as hard as these words sound, 
as difficult as the actions seem to be, leads us to freedom, and that freedom is what builds us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Yes, asking and repenting to somebody for what you have done to them is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be embarrassing. But just think about this for a minute. Our Savior suffered a painful, inconvenient, and terribly humiliating death on a cross for the sake of not only our past, our future, but our present sins. And he did this, and they weren't even his sins. They're our sins. And he took full responsibility for the sins of the world. He died so that all men and women could be reconciled to the Father, and his reconciling death was for our good. So maybe think for a second. Maybe you have an ex-husband or an ex-wife who calls you all the time and who is just belittling you with all the words that they're saying about all the horrible things you did wrong to them. And as you're listening to them just go on and on and on about how horrible a person you are, maybe one thing that they said holds some truth. So maybe there's an opportunity for that one thing for you to own up to and say, I own that and I repent for that one thing. Maybe your father calls you one day and says, you know what, I was a horrible dad to you. I was never around, I was too busy, I didn't make time for you, and I realized today that I did the most horrible thing, and that was to abandon you. And I ask for your forgiveness, and I repent of my sin. Will you forgive me? Maybe your child is the same way, and your child comes to you and says, now is the time for me to let you know that I love you, and all those moments that I thought that I was making all the world my own, I see that I'm called to love other people too, and it's not just about me. I need your forgiveness. Maybe you were in your former place of employment and they terminated you for whatever reason and you took some things from them because you thought, they owe that to me. I gave them so many years of my life, they owe this to me. And you take something from them. Maybe it's time for you to reconcile that as well. Maybe you have a business associate and one day you lost your temper and you said some really nasty things. Maybe it happened within your family and people who know you're a believer saw and witnessed what you said and how you acted and even though in your mind you felt justified that you did what you had to do, maybe it's time for you to own up to that. Maybe it's time for you to say and approach that person and say, I repent. You are much more valuable and worthy to me than what I've made you to become. See, we can continue to go through life living this way that we can ignore all these things. We can continue to go through life and say, that's my past, that's not who I am anymore. I'm the person of the future, but we've got to take care of unfinished business now. That's what Christ wants us to do. So however this is meshing with you today, if you've heard anything I've said, then please hear this. God is constantly working in you. God is constantly working to reform you. God is constantly working to change you. What is he trying to change you into? He's trying to change you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And once we get to that point in that place, then our unfinished business is done because we are Christ in the world to others. So today the message is stop running from your past. Reconcile. Repent. Believe. Don't issue cheap grace, but real grace. And see the love that God has for you.